Good evening, everybody. I'm thankful for the opportunity to bring forth our lesson tonight. And as I started looking into what uh, I would speak on this evening, uh, I thought about a lot of topics. I contemplated sharing some lessons from Matthew, uh, such as the Beatitudes, which we've been studying through in our family Bible study at home. Uh, but while driving home from work and school with Evie a couple weeks ago, one of my favorite George Drake songs come on, uh, which is pretty normal for me growing up. My mom taught in White County, and we drove from Putnam County, so I listened to a lot of George Strait songs growing up. Uh, and one of my favorite songs of his is A Father's Love. And, of course, as a child, that had a much different meaning for me. Uh, as I've gotten older and now that I'm a father, uh, it has much different meaning. It's reminded me uh, each time I hear it how blessed I am to be a father, to have the two children that I have here tonight with me. Uh, how blessed I am by my father here on earth, by Barry Jones and Glenda and my, wife, or, uh, my mother. Uh, but it also reminds me of the parable of the lost or the prodigal son and how extremely blessed we are by our heavenly father as well. Uh, over the years, I've heard many sermons, as I'm sure you have, over the prodigal son or the lost son. But one of my favorites, thinking back, compares uh, the parable of the prodigal son as a story of how God shows his love in ways that we can relate to as humans. We know that love, uh, God loves us in big ways, ways that are evident, uh, but sometimes maybe are hard to relate to as humans. In the story of the prodigal son, I believe we can see intimate or human ways our heavenly father loves us, ways that as humans we can relate to or understand, or ways that a father loves his children. So before we get into our lesson and discuss that parable a little bit, I think we need to read it first. Uh, I thought about having Parker read all of the parable, and he was ready and willing, but I just let him read the end of it there. So uh, we'll read the parable first and discuss that. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far-off country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent, to him, and, or sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have <clears throat> filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. <clears throat> And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, 
he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what uh, these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and he said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might, might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has de, uh, devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. I think as we read through and we review this parable, we see three ways that this father showed love for his son. By extension, three ways that our heavenly father shows love for us. Number one, he let him go. In those days, it was customary for the oldest son to not only receive a double portion of his father's inheritance, but also to be the first one to do so. Of course, it was also customary uh, for the father to wait until he passed away or uh, until it was his uh, decision to divide out his wealth to his children. Uh, in this parable, the son didn't wait, of course, his turn or even wait till his father decided to give it to him. He demanded his portion right away. And we see that his father, without a word, let him have his portion and let him go. Uh, against wise counsel, without manipulation, and also with no strings attached as well. When the son was old enough to make his own decision, as foolish as it was, his father didn't try to stop him. He let him make it. He loved him enough to let him go. And God, or our Heavenly Father, is like this as well. He lets us go too. Uh, we're free to disobey him if we want to. Uh, we can reject and abandon the church even. We can ignore all of his wise counsel from his word or from the Bible and in many promptings of his Holy Spirit and go on our own way and make our own decisions if we want to. Just as John talked about last Sunday, we have the ability to choose or to ignore God's grace if we want to. Some even think that God should throw a thunderbolt or give us a sign. They think that would be a sign of true love from God. But love means leaving the door open, not locking it. God loves us enough or loves man enough to allow us to be free. He loves us enough to risk rejection in order to gain true faithfulness and love in return from us. He also doesn't make the mistake in confusing control with compassion. God loves us enough to deny self and to allow his children to choose the way they want to live. But just like the father in this parable, God's love doesn't end with goodbye. The second way I think God shows his fatherly love for us is that he waits for our return. Uh, in this parable, it says that the father saw his son returning while he was still a long way off. Uh, he wasn't hiding somewhere behind closed doors. Uh, he didn't even have the locks changed as soon as his son left. Uh, he expected his son's return, and he even made himself available at the first glimpse of his son returning. God loves us that same way. He waits expectantly for our return. Uh, he makes himself visible 
all the while. Uh, if we really think about it, everywhere we look, there's signs of God's presence and his love for us. If we open our eyes and see the beauty and love demonstrated by his creation, for his creation that shelters, that feeds us, and for all the many blessings that he gives us every single day. Sometimes I think we take granted for that. I know I do at times, but I thank him every morning, every evening, every time I pray, I try to make sure and, and be thankful for all the many blessings that he gives us. His word or the Bible speaks of God's love as well, right? And it provides assurance and guidance so that we can have a good life here on earth, but most importantly, we're going to have an eternal life with him in heaven if we're faithful and righteous servants. These are all signs of God's love, reminders of his concern for us, no matter where we go. At one point, as we saw in our reading that Parker read for us, uh, he said to his older son that the younger son had been dead, but now is alive. This is a fair assessment of his younger son's condition, if we think about it. He was gone. He was unfaithful. He was destitute. In other words, he was dead to God dead to his family, dead to his people, but the father still waited for his dead son's return. God's love's like this in ways as well, right? God still loves us while we sin, while we ignore him, while we even harm ourselves, while we mock him. After all that he does to show his love for us, he loves us anyways. He even plans for and works each day to win us back and waits anxiously from far off to see us returning to him. And when we do return, God displays his love or his greatest show of love for us, just as the Father did in this parable. <clears throat> and finally, the third way I think God shows his love for us is that he restores us. When we return to him, he restores us. It's one thing to take back an erring child but it's quite another to restore an erring child or a lawless child, we might say. What the son wanted was just to be taken back. He had strayed away. He had turned his back on his father. He had squandered away all that he had. He was living with the swine. He even said that he would eat what the swine was eating. He just wanted to be given food. He wanted to be given shelter, uh, earning his keep through proper and expected behavior, even if that meant being a slave. It's what he deserved, but what he received was much better than what he deserved. What he was asking for was to live under new rules, maybe a, a self-imposed law, so to speak. Uh, what his fa father gave him was restoration and mercy. So when he came back to him, he gave him restoration and mercy. The father's gift showed how the son was restored. He greeted him with kisses, which showed his love and affection for his son. He felt compassion, which told the son that he understands his pain and the effort that it took to come back to him. And he also put the best robe on him, which signified his position in the family. Uh, and at that time, remember, long robes were worn by nobles. If we look at the word restore, it means to bring back to original condition. In this case, it was to restore the son to his original position and condition as a son in that family. And what the father did uh, is symbolized by the following. Again, the robe was a symbol that he was now acceptable in his father's home again. It covered him with righteousness, just as Christ covers us with righteousness 
when we're baptized. The ring is a mark of his sonship or belonging, just like the Holy Spirit is our symbol or seal of our sonship that we receive when we're baptized. The sandals represented freedom because at that time only slaves were barefoot. Just as we are freed from sin and punishment when we put on Christ and receive the Holy Spirit in baptism, having been freed from our sin. And the fat and calf and celebration was also a precious gift as well. The father gave his son the right to laugh again. Remember, he had went far off. He was living destitute with no money, living with the swine. He gave him the, the ability to laugh again, the right to experience joy. Because with forgiveness comes restoration. And with restoration comes joy. He didn't have to go on living with his head hung in shame, always defined by his past failures or reminded of them. It's the same with the Lord when he adds this to his church at baptism. The father restored his son back to sonship, again with all of its rights and privileges. As we saw again in the reading, he even defended his, uh, him to his older brother, who was jealous of his father's goodness and mercy. The reason the father felt joy was because the son felt remorse and true repentance. It wasn't an indulgence on the father's part. He wasn't being soft or he wasn't spoiling his son by taking him back. He recognized his true repentance. He was even overjoyed because of it. The father could offer restoration to his son. He could restore him because of that offer of repentance. We have to remember that because we can't have restoration if we don't have repentance first. It's useless if we don't have that repentance before restoration. Without repentance, the child would not be able to take advantage of his restoration in the family. It would only result in future rebellion or him turning away from his father again. The same goes for us. Without true repentance, we can't have that restoration or we might stray again as well. If we have strayed and we choose to return, we know our Heavenly Father also restores us as well. When we return to Him, He doesn't give us what we deserve. We've not earned it. Uh, he restores us completely as sons and daughters in Christ. And because of that, we have no more sin because He forgave us, as in Acts 2.38. No more shame as He covers us with Christ. No more condemnation. He doesn't accuse us, doesn't allow anyone to accuse us, as we say in Romans 8.1. There's no restitution to be made, and there's no more sadness, as we have a hope of heaven, and we can rejoice always, as in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. In addition to this, our Heavenly Father is continually defending us against those constant charges of Satan when he tells us, that we're not worthy of that restoration, that we're not worthy of the many blessings that he gives us each day. And he does that by keeping the blood of Christ and the prayers of Holy Spirit constantly at the throne of mercy on our behalf. When our Heavenly Father restores us, he restores us completely without an exception. So as we think about that, and we take the parable a little farther in summary, I think it teaches many practical lessons for fathers specifically 
but also for parents in general. One thing we have to do is eventually let our children go without provoking them and let them become adults. Let them make some decisions for themselves. They'll start their own families. But first, we must teach and admonish them. As we see in Ephesians 6, 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. We must teach them, we must admonish them before we let them go so they can make those wise decisions. We can let go, but we also mustn't give up. We still can have influence. We can have a relationship with our children through prayer, through love, through willingness to monitor and to encourage their progress as they walk through life. We can hold their hands. We can do that with them. We also can sympathize with them as they face the many challenges that life here on earth will throw at them. Always be there to lift them up. Also, fathers don't say, I told you so. They say, I love you so. When the prodigals or the lost come home, don't make slaves out of them. Make sons and daughters out of them once again. Personally, there's many times I know that I let my earthly father and my mother down and my parents when I made bad decisions when I was younger, uh, did things that I knew wasn't right. Uh, Personally, times where maybe they said not to do something, I went and did it anyways. Uh, And they didn't say, I told you so, even though they knew what those decisions would lead to. They comforted me. They loved me. They restored me back to the family. And they helped me learn from those bad decisions and learn important life lessons. In like manner, there's many times I've let my heavenly father down. And when I came back to him and truly repented and asked for forgiveness, he restored me fully. So this parable, or this uh, parable of the lost or prodigal son, demonstrates the very real way that God deals with us as well, or his children, especially his lost ones, with love and with patience and mercy. So we must ask ourselves, are we in rebellion, openly or secretly defying or disobeying God or those that God has placed over us? Maybe our parents, our leaders, or even our own conscience, God's word, or our elders. Are we moving away from God by refusing to do what we know is right or what we should be doing? Also, are we in repentance? Maybe we're thinking it's time to change. It's time to stop fighting God and to give in to him. Are we like the son in the parable coming to our senses finally and deciding to make that long journey back home? How about you? Have you gone away from our Heavenly Father? If you have strayed from that narrow path, but you're willing to come back to ask for forgiveness, to repent, he will restore you. You can always come home to the loving arms of your Heavenly Father. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, but you want to experience that true love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness of our Heavenly Father. 